Amen. Before we dive in, well, hey, my name's Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here. Glad y'all are here this morning. Well, as I was backstage, I, I had something I just couldn't get off my mind. And I, I, I really believe the Lord put this on my heart. Before we dive into the message, this is, what I, this is what I felt like the Lord put on my heart. Jesus was crucified and resurrected to save you. But he ascended to send you. Jesus was crucified and he was resurrected to save you. But have you ever thought about the purpose by, behind the ascension? He ascended into heaven to send you. In other words, what I want you to walk away with this, with this morning is this overwhelming reality that you have an assignment from God. That he has given each and every one of us, not me because I have a microphone, not Somebody else because they're an elder, not somebody else because they're a missionary, not somebody else because they're a pastor. But if you have experienced the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, he put himself through that to save you. But he ascended into heaven to send you and give you an assignment. And I would just ask, before we even dive into the text this morning, which will be John chapter 12, would you make something available in your heart this morning for what God's next assignment for you might be. All right, John chapter 12. We'll pick back up in what we read, but we're in a series called On the Road. We're in a series called On the Road. And we've covered um, a couple different scenes. Last week, uh, John preached about um, the, the road to Emmaus. And, uh, um, and the, today... Uh, we're looking at these different scenes where Jesus is on the road doing something, where God is on the road, on the move, doing different things in these different scenes. Uh, and today, what traditionally with Palm Sunday is the road to Jerusalem, biblically. When we look at the text, right, we see Jesus at this point is on the road uh, to Jerusalem. The book of John is organized around this idea of Jesus coming into the world and then this movement of him doing his earthly ministry, moving to uh, Jerusalem. And now we are at that moment. We are at this moment where Jesus is introducing himself as something different. If you look at John 10, he talks about himself as the good shepherd. John, uh, John 11, he resurrects Lazarus from the dead. And now John 12, the crowd around Jesus they're foaming at the mouth. They look like the kids that were just doing the Easter egg hunt. Like, if you would have put some Braveheart fa face paint on them, I think they could have overtaken Cracker Barrel. I really do. I think they could have pillaged it for all the pancakes that they could muster. Um, but the crowd is just foaming at the mouth around Jesus. And it leads to this moment that we so often refer to as the triumphal entry. But what I want to maybe bring us into this morning is that I would encourage you to look at this or challenge us to look at it this morning as the road to disappointment. Because it's easy for us today to look back and see this scene where Jesus rides in on a donkey and they're waving palm branches. It's easy for us to emulate that today. But at the time, we are just around the corner from the crucifixion. 
We are just around the corner from Jesus being nailed to a cross and laid in a tomb, and everyone is deflated. Everybody that knew him, the crowd is deflated, the disciples are deflated, and they are now, where they were cheering, they are now on the road to disappointment. We all experience disappointment, right? We all wake up every day hoping that the day goes according to our expectations, right? And maybe, maybe you're like me and probably a lot of us. <clears throat> you live life enough that you already wake up with just a little seasoning of disappointment as you start your day, right? You're just like, you're just bracing yourself for the day ahead of like, I know today's not going to meet my expectations because I got to go to work today, you know? Or you've got some expectation of that conversation that's lingering, that meeting that's lingering, this person that's at the office or what have you, a season maybe that you're in, you can find yourself very quickly on the road to disappointment. And a lot of times it's because you had an expectation and that expectation gets defeated. And so my hope this morning is to try to be an encouragement to all of us that the Lord might begin to use John chapter 12 and a couple of other passages to get us back on the road again, to get us out of the, what I would call the ditch of disappointment. So John 12, 12 through 19, the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. It's no small thing to say. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Let's talk about two things real quick. In John chapter 12, let's talk about the meaning of the palm branches and the meaning of Hosanna. The palm branches represent this national sign among the Jewish people of freedom. It was this sign, if you went 150 years or so, a couple hundred years before this event, there had been a revolt that the Jewish people had tried to get freedom for their nation from who was ruling over them. And in, at, in being successful on their currency, they began to stamp palm branches. And these palm branches were this national symbol for them of their freedom, of their liberty. And, it was an, and so what the crowd, the crowd is super familiar with this idea. And so as Jesus is riding in or as he's coming in, they're waving these palm branches because this guy in their mind begins to represent this liberation that they are demanding. This liberation or this freedom in other words, it's not just recognizing Jesus for who he has said he is. It is recognizing and anointing Jesus for who they want him to be. 
And this word Hosanna is come and save us. Come and save us. Come and liberate us. Without diving too much into it, what they are demanding is for Jesus to be this Messiah hero, this Messiah king. Now, what we know is that that guy riding in on a donkey gets crucified. And he is labeled as dead and laid in a tomb, right? What we already know in reading this is that what the crowd expected was not what they were given. As the story plays out, Jesus is arrested, he's beaten, and the crowd, this, listen to this, this is so important. The same crowd, this is the same crowd, the same crowd that was waving palm branches in less than a couple of weeks, they're clearing their throat to chant, crucify him. The same people, the same exact crowd. And the only thing that happened is that Jesus didn't meet their expectations. The crowd, when they didn't get what they wanted, they went from cheering to chanting, and all it took was for Jesus to not meet their expectations. That's not just true for the crowd, that's true for Judas, right? A scene shortly before this is Mary is anointing Jesus' feet, and she uses this super expensive perfume uh, to anoint his feet and to clean her feet, clean Jesus' feet with her hair. It was this extremely humble and anointing moment. And Judas gets indignant. Why would we do this? We could have sold that bottle of perfume for 300 such and such and donated it to the poor. And the text says that in that moment, Satan used that to move in his heart to begin the idea of betraying Jesus. Right? So what Judas had an expectation of what Jesus' life should look like, and when that's not met, he goes from cheering to chanting. And even worse, betrayal. Same thing for the crowd. Same thing for the Pharisees, right? The expectation of the Pharisees is that there should be no one that should be able to speak on behalf of God but us. And so Jesus begins to speak what the text says as one who has authority. Where they come to the conclusion, see, us tolerating, uh, tolerating Jesus is getting us nowhere. Look, the whole world has gone after him. They go from not really cheering to plotting of how can we kill Jesus. And what's challenging for us today is that, honestly, we are no different. We often end up in a ditch of disappointment when life doesn't go as planned. Sometimes when the disappointment is great enough, we will begin to resent God as well. So I want you to think about this. Enough small disappointments can add up to a large feeling that God's not there, right? Sometimes it's not even these giant tragedies, these giant moments that shake us. Sometimes it is. But we're talking about these small, unchecked disappointments that come from things that we had expectations around that over a long period of time will begin to form a seed in our heart that says, God's not there for me. God doesn't care for me. God doesn't love me. 
enough small disappointments can add up to a large feeling that God's not there. But this is what's interesting. What's interesting about the triumphal entry is that Jesus creates the disappointment on purpose. He does it on purpose. I want you to picture Jesus. I want you to think about the word that that Chase said, immutable. God is unchanging. Jesus has always been. There's never a moment that Jesus was not. Another sermon, different topic. But he is unchanging. He is the same. In other words, when Jesus came into the world as a person, he put on this skin suit to demonstrate to us one purpose. He came to die on behalf of us that we could be reconciled to a holy God. 2 Corinthians 5.21, right? God made him who knew no sin to be sin that we might become the righteousness of God. He had one purpose, one single purpose in coming. And I want you to picture this. As Jesus is walking in and you look to your right and you look to your left, I picture like, I don't know why, well, I do know why because all I think about is sports. Uh, It's like a football run-through sign, right? Like it's this big moment of like he's coming in and the crowd is going crazy. And they're waving these palm branches and they're chanting, Hosanna, Hosanna. And I just picture in that moment Jesus gets on that donkey. And I imagine he just takes a deep sigh. Because he is, it is not lost on Jesus. He knows each of the person's name in the crowd. He knows each of their story. He knows what the future holds with them. He knows that that same crowd is going to go from cheering to chanting, crucify him in just a couple of weeks. It's not lost on Jesus. And so he steps onto the donkey and rides in and meets this current expectation and he creates the disappointment on their behalf on purpose. Why? I think Jesus is crafting the disappointment to see who was there for his assignment and who was there for their own assignment. See, I think Jesus knew that it was easy to blend into the crowd when it seems like our hero is winning. When it seems like our hero meets our expectation. It was easy for the crowd to be there for his assignment. But that crowd wasn't there in the days of the disciples when the storm is going crazy and the boat's being blown all over the place and they're crying out to Jesus who's asleep in the boat. Like, hey man, the boat's going under here. What are we doing? And Jesus just says, peace, be still. See, the crowd didn't have to endure the storm and then experience the peace. All they had was the peace which for them still left room in their hearts to bring their expectation of Jesus without knowing, oh, this guy is different. This guy can't be bound by my expectations. Here's what I believe. The crowd and the disciples wind up doing basically the same thing. The disciples may not have been chanting, crucify him, crucify him. The crowd did. But the disciples definitely deserted Jesus. Jesus is crucified alone. None of his disciples are with him. 
And I think the disciples' deliverance is how much they understood Jesus was different. Jesus had the right to demand different things from his disciples because that guy can demand whatever he wants because he's God. Jesus was crafting the disappointment to see who was there for his assignment, meaning Jesus, and who was there for their own assignment. In the end, the disciples return because they wanted to be a part of Jesus' assignment. So what's that look like for us today? James chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, I think helps us with this. James chapter 1, verse 3 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. James tells us that our trials, what that word means is Ordinary difficulties are gifts from God to produce something in us that we can't and we won't produce in ourselves. I'm not talking about tragedies. I'm not talking about immense, overwhelming moments of suffering. That, that's a whole other sermon. But if you're like me, it doesn't take tragedies and overwhelming moments of grief to draw out bad character. For me, it just takes a kid not listening to what I said or my kid not sleeping through the night or whatever it might be. It doesn't take, it just takes normal everyday difficulties for sometimes for, to draw out an ungodly reaction from me. But what James tells us is that these trials are gifts from God to produce something in us that we can't and won't produce in ourselves, namely endurance character, and wisdom. Think about what James is talking about the same way you would think about raising a child, right? Like, you don't raise a child by saying, hey, welcome to the world, pal. See you in 18 years. Raise yourself, right? That's not how maturity happens in the life of a child. No, like, God gives that child parents to encourage, to exhort, to stop some things, to encourage other things, to to shepherd them along in their development. They grow to maturity not by avoiding all difficulties, but by having someone there to shepherd them through the difficulties to maturity, right? They need a parent shepherding them through the difficulties that they face. And the challenge is this, and this is what I, I feel like I see, and this is me just all the time is that I don't give God that same parental authority to shepherd me. We don't give God that parental authority to both create the difficulties in our life that we need and trust him to lead us through them. We won't give him that space. A lot of times when we face difficulties, we step away from it and we wait to return to a relationship with God after we've resolved the difficulty and bypass God's shepherding process 
in our life. All right, so let's jump into this. I want to ask a few questions. How do we end up on the road to disappointment? How do we end up on the road to disappointment? I think what we see in the triumphal entry is that we expect things from Jesus that he never promised. Right? The crowd expects Jesus. You are going to be our hero, Messiah. You're going to be our rescuer. You are going to reign and make us great and make our nation great. And we are going to be a force in the world again. The problem is Jesus never promised that. Jesus came to die on our behalf that he could give us life and life abundantly. Not so that we could be a great empire, but that we could spread out over the entire world and be his witnesses. We expect things from Jesus that he never promised. I've been going through this lately myself. Like, I had this expectation that God was going to meet, that God was going to provide. Um, and it was I, you know, just nothing crazy. I just thought that the Lord would, you know, allow my children to sleep through the night. That was my expectation. Um, we have been at this for, you know, 15 months trying to get our, our uh, son Keller to go to sleep. Um, and I expected, right, I'm not expecting a, an unreasonable thing. I'm not expecting something that would be contrary to God's design for human beings, right? They have to sleep. And I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. God, we've been praying for 15 months. God, let this kid sleep. And I'm praying things, right? Like, God, don't you want my wife to be sane? God, wouldn't my job be, be more useful if I had some sleep? God, wouldn't this child be so much more happier and, and blessed by you if he could sleep? And I remember I was... I was Praying and praying and praying. And my expectation was, God, if I pray, if I seek, and if I ask and I knock, you're going you're gonna to answer this prayer. But I want you to do it sooner than later. And I began praying. And I remember one night, it was a particularly bad night. He had been up from like 2 to 4, slept for maybe 45 minutes, was up again. And I was holding him. And I was just holding him. I was like, God, I'm just praying. God, please, please let this baby sleep. God, please let him get some rest. Please let him get some rest. And he falls asleep. And I was like, oh, God, great God in heaven. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, so much. This is your good God who answers prayers. And five minutes later, he wakes up. And I'm like, there's no God. <laughs> there's no God out there. And, and, it, and I'm even, like, preparing for this sermon and I'm like, I'm thinking that. But it was because in that moment, I had this expectation. God, why wouldn't you give this to me? And I felt like what the Lord began to show me was that he was revealing something inside of me that was disconnected. And what, I, what was disconnected in me was that I had an expectation that I knew God's timing better than he did. My expectation was met with disappointment. And what I, this is what, you know, this is not a fun thing to say into a microphone, into a crowd of people. What I felt like God was trying to reveal in my heart. See, this is what I believe. I believe he created the disappointment on purpose. I believe that God did that in my life 
to reveal in that moment something that I was trying to hide away. And it was that I was building resentment in my heart towards God. I was resentful and I was defensive towards God because I thought I was asking something of him that was totally reasonable. And it's not that it's unreasonable. It's reasonable that you want your child to sleep. But he was, I think about that song we were singing, Rattle. I was picturing this. I shared this at the first service. It says, just ask that, just ask that stone in the tomb in the garden what happens when God says to move. And I just was picturing that in my life of all the things that I stuff away in this tomb and that I roll a stone in front of. And I say, God, thank you for this great salvation. Now, we can have access to all of this, but I've got some stuff hidden away in this tomb. And no matter what you say, I'm not going to let you in there. I have this expectation that these things cannot be changed. And what I believe in my life, God was rolling that stone away. And what was in there is all the smelly, stinky, decaying, gross, rotten stuff that represents what should be dead in me, but God can't make that alive. He can't cause these dead bones to begin to rattle and to produce life until I let him in to do the work of resurrection. And what I'm saying this morning, I'm trying to point us towards freedom, that if we will begin to embrace these difficulties, I'm not talking about tragedies and great significant suffering. It's a whole other thing. But these moments of difficulty that build up, that build up, that build up, that cause resentment in our heart, what I know is that it causes resentment in our heart towards God and in addition to that, sidelines us from his purpose. God, there's no way I could participate in this mission that you've called us to. God, thank you for the crucifixion. Thank you for the resurrection. But this whole sending thing, Everything after the book of John, God, it's just too much. You don't know what's happened to me. You don't know the choices that I've made. You don't know the relationships that I've had. You don't know my childhood. You don't know what I've experienced. And it's like, for some of us, we can have this feeling that if I can just trip over my own feet, over the finish line, into heaven, having barely been saved... That'll be good enough. But Jesus died and was resurrected to save you. But he ascended in order to send you. Friends, God has an assignment for you. God has something so much more that he wants to set free in your life in order to send you to be a blessing to someone else. So let's ask ourselves this question. Why would Jesus not give me what I want? Why would Jesus not give me what I want? Sometimes it's because we want bad things that are contrary to his design, right? Sometimes we want things that are sinful, and God is going to put roadblocks in our life to get to, a, a, and that's his love for us. That I'm going to put this barrier in your life. Now you can run right through it, 
but it's going to hurt. But that hurt is meant to cause your eyes to turn to Christ that he could begin to give you different desires. Sometimes Jesus doesn't give me what I want because I want bad things that are contrary to his design. But maybe for a lot of us, we want good things that are not God's plan for me. Sometimes we want good things that are not God's plan for me. I think about a biblical example of this is when Peter is trying to defend Jesus when he's about to be arrested. Um, have you ever thought about, let me use you as an example. Have you ever thought about when Peter cuts that dude's ear off, how does he only hit an ear? You know, in my mind with a sword, right, if I swing at your ear, if I swing down like this, like aiming for that ear, what am I probably going to hit if you move your head? Shoulder, arm, I mean, something. Something's gonna, it's going to be bad. It's going to be blood everywhere. But if you only hit your ear, this is what I think. I think he's swinging like this. I think he's going for full head, and that guy just like ducks his head, and he gets that ear. What is beautiful in that moment is that Jesus stops Peter and says, no, 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 not like this. It's not a bad thing that Peter wanted to defend his friend. It was a good thing that wasn't a God thing. Why? Because Jesus knew his purpose. Jesus knew his purpose was to be arrested, that he could be crucified, that he could be resurrected, that he could ascend so that you could be sent. Sometimes we want good things that are not God's plan. Sometimes we want God things, but we want them for the wrong reason. I mean, I think about the disciples, man. Like, God has so much grace for those who are his followers, for his disciples. Sometimes we want God things, but we want them for the wrong reasons. I think about Acts chapter 1, verses 6, 7, and 8. Even after the resurrection, even after Jesus has clearly laid out, I am going to be crucified even in Acts 1, they fast forward, they're like, all right, cool, now you're resurrected. So is it, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? In other words, like, hey, I know the whole triumphal entry thing, like that didn't work out. You weren't going to be the hero Messiah then. But are you going to be the hero Messiah now? And Jesus looks at him and says, it's not for you to know times or seasons which God has appointed by his authority, but you will be my witnesses. The disciples wanted God's kingdom to come. That's a God thing but they wanted it for the wrong reasons. And it wouldn't produce God's outcomes. And then lastly, I would say, we've forgotten the value of yet. If you're asking, if you're in a place in your life and you're asking, God, why wouldn't you just give me what I want? I'm praying for things that are according to your design. I'm praying for things that are according to your will. I'm praying for things that I think will give you honor. Why have you not answered my prayer? And I would say, don't forget the power of yet. For that child that has drifted far from who you've raised them to be, as long as that standard is the standard of Christ, hold on to the power of yet. If you're needing to be delivered from something and you're praying, God, help me, help me, deliver me, hold on to the power of yet. Because we may not understand the suffering or the trials or the difficulties that we're experiencing in one year. But we will make sense of them in one lifetime. Hold on to the power of yet. Hold on to the power of yet. There's things that 
we have prayed for as a family. We've prayed, um, God, you know, I've had an elbow injury lingering for well over a year. I'm like, God, would you please heal this? Take it away. And I'm just holding on to the power of yet. We've prayed things as a staff. God, God, please send us a church planner. Like send us someone to, to go out, to send out that, that uh, can go out and plant a church. And we prayed that for years and for years and for years. And God's beginning to stir and move, but it's in his timing. And what we had to hold on to was the power of yet. We've prayed, you know, for, for, for me, I've, I've prayed for, for God to remove this need for approval and for affirmation that I could just be free to live according to who God's made me to be without the fear of man. And I've prayed and I've prayed, and God continues to produce that in my life. But you know how he produces it? Through little moments of difficulty that he then shepherds me through as a shepherd parent in my life, and he walks me through those things. And a lot of times what we have to hold on to is the power of yet. What we have to hold on to is the power of yet. Maybe you'd say this morning, Jordan, I'm, I'm not disappointed in God necessarily. I'm disappointed in a person. I'm disappointed in a situation. I'm disappointed in an experience that I've had. What I would encourage you with is this, is that God is using that disappointment to reveal something that's disconnected in you. Don't miss that. God is using those moments of disappointment to reveal something that's disconnected in you. What I would challenge you with is this. Monitor the spirit of defensiveness that you have. Monitor the spirit of defensiveness that's working in your life. This is where I, I want to try to bring it together. Because I, I, what, I, what I want, what I want more than anything for everyone that calls our church home is that you would be able to hear our Heavenly Father's voice guiding you to your next assignment. And then when He as a Heavenly Father reveals that next assignment, that you don't have something hidden away in your life, that you say, no, God, that disqualifies me from participating in your purposes. What I wanna, how I want to connect those things is, is these moments of disappointment, these moments of defensiveness, they should be like check engine lights in your life. That God is putting them there for a purpose, and it's to reveal something that's still disconnected in your heart. The anger, the resentment, the impatience, the short temper, the desire for approval, the desire for acceptance. All of these characteristics, they are flashing lights that the Holy Spirit has put in your life for you to say, God, help me. Set me free from this. Where if I'm just being honest with you as a pastor, what I hear a lot is, I can't help that. That's just how I am. That's just, well, that's just how I'm wired. But when the rubber meets the road, and it's time to begin pursuing the purposes of God, all of those things are the things that we use as crutches to avoid participating in God's purposes. And we will never experience 
the full nature of who God is apart from participating in his purposes. Now, it, this is not a fix yourself, work harder, try harder, do more, be better. Our application for today, I, I want to start winding down with this. These little moments of disappointment and this feeling that, God, you could never change that about me. Those things are set free as we pursue the mission of God, as we pursue his purposes. And now that, that may begin to make you feel like, how am I ever going to go from where I am to being a missionary, to being a pastor, to being a church planner, to being an evangelist, to back it up even further, to just sharing the gospel in my workplace, to just being a source of light and encouragement within my family. God, how can I participate in your mission? Look at all this dead stuff that's in my tomb. And what I'm trying to say is that the way that stone gets rolled away and the way that Jesus begins to do a resurrection work in all of the dead stuff that's in our life is as we go through these moments of disappointment, we cry out to him. And as we cry out to him, he is both setting us free and bringing new life to the things that are dead. And he begins to remove those difficulties one at a time. And that's what I mean by being faithful to your current assignment. Be faithful to your current assignment. What does God want to do in your life this morning? This is what I would say. And I would say this as confidently as I've ever said anything in a sermon before. God wants you to step into your next assignment. That could mean there's a person that you need to apologize to. That could mean... You need to pray, God, make me more patient. That could mean, God, help me to embrace this season where my children don't sleep. That could mean, God, help me to not make excuses for my angry outbursts. That could mean, God, I'm going to begin to deal justly with my customers. That could mean there's somebody that I need to demonstrate an act of service to. See, your assignment is not disconnected from the character of God. It's not just doing the tasks of the kingdom. It's embodying the character of the kingdom. So for some of us this morning, for some of us this morning, the first assignment might be, Jesus, I have never known you. I've never followed your path. I have consistently lived according to my desires, my expectations, my life. And God, if you'll let me, I will trade my life for the one that Jesus purchased for me through his crucifixion and resurrection. Jesus, I've never followed who you've said you are through the resurrection. I've only lived according to my own expectations. If I could write on an envelope your name, if that describes you, and write 
one thing on a piece of paper and put it in the envelope and hand it to you as you left today, it would be pray. This is what I love. I've learned so much about this from the missionary that we partner with in Turkey. He will consistently challenge people. If Jesus is alive, you can talk to him, right? If you've never considered who Jesus is in light of the resurrection, not, not what you've always seen in church services, not the faith that your parents have had or the faith that your parents didn't have or the cultural expectation of Christianity or insert whatever other thing, have you considered that Jesus is alive? The only assignment and application this morning for you, would you cry out to him? If he's alive, would you pray to him? Would you be so bold to say, as Jesus, if you are alive, would you show yourself to me? And maybe for some of us this morning, if I could give you an assignment, if I could write your name on an envelope and put it on a piece of paper, one assignment, it would be pray. Jesus, what would my next assignment be? Is it someone that I need to apologize to? Is it saying, Jesus, I'm sorry? Is it someone that you need to be patient with? Is it someone that you need to love differently? But the assignment would be the same. This is what I believe. I believe that God's kingdom moves forward one assignment at a time. For me, this past week in preaching this sermon... My assignment for the day was to learn that I had resentment in my heart towards the Heavenly Father. And He is powerful enough to handle that disappointment that I had. And He is working something in my heart to set me free from that feeling of resentment. That is God's kingdom coming one assignment at a time in my life. I don't, I don't know what that looks like for you. It'd be so much easier if we could just form a line and you explain your situation to me and I just write some type of pastoral prescription for you, handed it to you, and encouraged you to go on your way. But Jesus died and was resurrected to save you. But he ascended to send you. It says in Acts 1.8, it was better that the Holy Spirit would come, right? The disciples' assignment was to go and wait that the Holy Spirit might come. Maybe your assignment today is, I've never asked you, Holy Spirit, to give me power. But this is the thing. This is the beautiful thing about Acts 1.8. The thing that the Spirit comes and gives power to is the disciples' next assignment. And so I'm, I want to stop and I want to pray for you, pray for us as we go into this week that God would reveal that next assignment for you and that you would step into it. And when you get through that, you'd say, God, thank you for that. What's my next assignment? And that you would live your life with a Holy Spirit-empowered purpose. And then when roadblocks come up, when difficulties come up, when distress comes up, you let the Lord begin to parentally correct that in your life. As I pray, I want to give you a chance to respond this morning. I, I ask if 
if Chase could come and just lead us in. Well, you're the professional. You pick. Uh, Waymaker, maybe. But I want to give you a chance to respond this morning that maybe you've never considered that as an assignment. You just need space to, to sing, to cry out that God would begin to change, uh, to change that. Um, maybe it's that you need someone to pray with to receive Christ this morning. God, we would be honored. We'd be honored to facilitate that this morning. Maybe there's somebody that you need to go ahead and type out a text to. Hey, I, I've not been what I needed to be in your life, and I apologize. Maybe you just need to invite God, roll back the stone in my life that I've kept all the dead things behind, and would you begin to do a work of resurrection in my life? Maybe, maybe and I've been here, maybe you don't even know what the dead things are. Jesus died to set you free from those things. But he's got so much more. But we've got to experience the death of those things that Jesus could then resurrect those things and he can use them to then send you with those things. So let me pray. Miss Chase leads us. You respond. Lord God, we just invite you into this moment. We just invite you into this moment to do what you need to do. I pray that you would make each and every one of our hearts sensitive, God, to what you want to do. Make us sensitive to our next assignment. Make us bold for our next assignment. Lord, fix things in our heart that we would never on our own ask to be fixed. God, put the difficulties in our life that we need that you could use those to set us free. We pray all this in Jesus' name.